March 14, 2009 in Wellington at a wedding. Hi, Krishna. I'm a guest in Wellington, but I think I can welcome people here, even though I'm not really one of the hosts. I can welcome you anyway. So welcome to this wonderful wedding, Ravani Ritesh. So those of you who have some familiarity with the Indian system of religion and philosophy and some idea of yoga, you may know that we're practitioners of bhakti yoga, and you may wonder what is the relationship between a wedding and yoga, because it seems like, well, yoga is either some sort of exercises you do where you put yourself into pretzels, or else it's the kind of thing where you go to the Himalayas and you just live on the prana from the sun. Have you ever seen those real yogis with the matted dreadlocks and the little skinny guys? So what does that have to do with a wedding? Because we think about a wedding as part of worldly life. And we're getting married and making money and having a home and having a car and having kids and being a success in the world, whereas yoga we generally think about as renouncing the world, isn't it? Austerity. Now the kind of yoga we're practicing is the ultimate end of all yogas. It's called bhakti yoga. Now the word yoga itself means union or plus. Like one yoga one is two. And bhakti means love and devotion. So the ultimate end of yoga, like that of all religions, thank you, is to achieve a unity of love with the Supreme Lord. Just like when Jesus was asked what is the most essential principle of religion, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And the second, which is like the first, is to love your fellow man. So that is real yoga love. And as explained in Bhagavad Gita, the pinnacle of the yoga shastra or scripture is bhaktyamam agjananti yavanyas chasmitatvataha tatomam tatpatoganatva vishate tatamanantaram. If you really want to know God and to have union with God, it has to be through love. And this union with God is sometimes misunderstood as a merging, that you become God, or you kind of become one with God, or it's all some sort of homogeneous mass of just light and power. And, but no, this union with God is very much comparable to the union between husband and wife. We say they become one, but they don't sort of just melt. You know, and then All of a sudden we have a, a glob that's neither one nor the other. No, they remain two separate people, but yet they become one. Or the oneness of the mother and baby. And the mother's carrying the baby in her womb. There's a oneness, but they're individual. Or friend and friend. That kind of yoga, that kind of union, of love with God, 
Now, to accomplish this kind of yoga, one needs to have the proper facility both as an individual and also in society. It is possible to achieve loving union with God in any situation, but some situations are more favorable. Just like we can have a wedding anywhere, but you know, the middle of the street would be a little inconvenient. So therefore, we have some nice room. And in the same way, you can love God in any situation because love of God is our natural constitutional position. We're part of God. Made in the image of God. We're part of Him. We're part of Him like the, the, each family member is part of the family or each citizen is part of the country. So love of God is our natural condition. But when we're in an unnatural state, out of that feeling, when we feel separated, we need a conducive atmosphere. Therefore, for most people, there is marriage. Because for most people, marriage is a platform from which one can be peaceful and execute actual yoga. Just like it's very hard to engage in religion, in philosophical discussion, if you're really hungry. <coughs> All you're thinking about is eating. And in the same way, most of us need, the man needs a woman, woman needs a man. Most people have a need for marriage, for a home, for their own income, for their own space. So their mind is peaceful. And then from that platform, they can focus on spiritual life. Now, in the scriptures, it says that the individuals within the marriage also have some duty to society. And those duties to society have been given as charity. So the renunciates, those who were not married, either before marriage or after marriage, because I think this is going up, because as I think our priest said, I, I don't really understand much Hindi. I can only pick up the Hindi words that sound like Sanskrit. So I think he was talking about the four ashramas at one point, yes? He said three and four. I got the demon chapter. So there's actually four stages of life. One, one is a student before marriage. And in our system, student life means life of celibacy, not like in the modern Western countries where student life means something a little different than <laughs> life of celibacy. And then at, after marriage, after the children are grown up, again, one takes to a life of austerity and celibacy. So, and that can be husband-wife together or husband-wife separately, either way, depending on the individual. And then at the end, total renunciation. So students and those who are retired from family life, they're not engaged in economic development. Study, worship, absorption in God. And therefore, how are they going to live? So those who are married, married, they have the obligation of giving in charity. Not just to the unfortunate people in society in general, people who are handicapped or impoverished, but also giving in charity to those people at the beginning or at the end of life who've given up economic development to concentrate on the supreme. So in that way also, married life facilitates the achievement of yoga for all of society. Because it means once you get older, you can say, okay, I've done my duty, 
I've earned money, I've paid my taxes, I've raised children, I've contributed to society, now I'm really going to focus on my religious life. And those people who are in the married ashram, who are in the married situation, they will maintain them. And those people can then act as the leaders and guides of society. Not just elders, you know, going to some vacation place and playing golf, but giving spiritual wisdom to society. And they have the freedom to do that in a traditional society, not because there's some kind of pension coming from the government, but because those who are married are giving them in charity. The also, also way in which the married couple function to facilitate all of society attaining to yoga is by funding sacrifices. So the essence for a materially inclined person to achieve the supreme is to engage in some kind of sacrifice, some kind of giving. Because we were talking about the yoga we have with God is one of love. Well, love means giving. There's, there's no love without giving, or as my spiritual master Prabhupada would call it, service. And the word service you know, can have a mixed connotation. In the West, anyway, we don't like the idea of being a servant. Most of us in the West don't have any servants anymore. If you go to India still, most middle-class people have servants. Uh, but here in New Zealand, the servants are your electric washer and dryer and your microwave. <laughs> we don't have so many human servants. And if someone says, what's your occupation? Well, I'm a servant, so that's not considered very high position in society. So if we say we're going to serve God, well, you know. I remember my mother telling me, she said, yes, when I say prayers, I don't like to say I'm God's servant. It seems very demeaning. Uh, but the idea is that of giving. Love means giving. I mean, really, what can we give to God? Everything belongs to Him. In one sense, everything is Him, but certainly everything is His property. What, how can I give you your own property? It doesn't make any sense. You know, if I took your ring off your hand and then gave it to you, here's a gift for you. The gift is this it was my ring to begin with. Even I belong to God. This body, my everything. How do I know that it belongs to God? Because He can take it like that. If it's mine, then I would be able to hold on to it. And just like each of us lives someplace, some flat or some home. And if we're renting, we know that the landlord, they can ask us to leave. Maybe at the end of the lease, but still, they can say, sorry, you have to go. And even if you own, the government can throw you out. They can say, we want to put a new road. Like I heard here in Wellington, there's only one main road out of the city. And it gets very clogged, and they're worried if there's ever an earthquake that nobody will be able to make it out of the city. So the government might say, we need a new road, and guess what? It's got to go through your house. I don't know what the laws are here in America. You can all tell them from America, right? In America, they have, in the Constitution, it says if they want to take your property, they have to compensate you. They're supposed to compensate you fairly. Of course, they don't quite do that. But the point is the government or the landlord can come in any time and say, sorry, goodbye, but, but it's my house. I'm sorry, we want a highway. It, it's my house. And recently in America, the Supreme Court decided that they could even take your house to put up a shopping mall. 
if, they, if the government decided it was in the public interest to have a shopping mall. <laughs> so in the same way, I'm living in this body, and I'm thinking it's my body, but at any moment, goodbye, get out of your body. Right? It could be today. I can fall down the stair, crack my head, and then get out of your body. Finished. Oh, but I want to stay in this body some more, too bad. I decided I wanted to use your body to nourish some of the worms underground that were hungry. Public welfare activity. <laughs> but Lord, I had so many more plans with this body. Sorry. So then you know that's the real owner. Therefore, everything I have belongs to God. Even my most precious possession, my body belongs to God. Or my memory. Can we lose that? You just have to get in a car accident and then you could be gone. You can be in a coma, you wake up and you have to learn your ABCs again. So even that belongs to God, doesn't belong to me, I can't hold on to it. So how can I give something to him? Because it is love only. Just like when I was a little girl, my parents used to give me an allowance. They'd give me some money every week. When I was very young, I could spend it maybe on candy. When I was older, I was supposed to buy some of my own things out of it. And I would take that money, and I would buy a birthday gift for my father with it. It was his money. He earned it. I didn't earn it. And I'd usually buy him something he wasn't even that interested in, like a tie. But it was love. He gave me the money out of love, and I went and I spent it on something for him out of love. So therefore, we develop in bhakti yoga, in this union of love with God, through sacrifice, through giving. Even though we're giving something that's really his, it's a, it's a relationship. We're developing a relationship. And those who are married, they're particularly facilitating this sacrifice this concept of sacrifice in society. Now, everybody is supposed to sacrifice, but especially this is a kind of sacrifice with the fire and so many things. And again, this costs money, and there has to be facility, and this is best done by people who are married. And then, of course, the people who are married, they're having children. Now, nowadays, <laughs> there's not such a direct correlation between marriage and children anymore. That's a problem of modern society. But ideally, children should be raised by their natural biological parents. That's, anyway, what to say. I hope I haven't offended any of you by saying that. So another function of marriage is to produce good population. After all, the world is made up of people, and people are, to a large extent, a product of their upbringing. So many of the problems we have in the world today are caused by people who are greedy, or people who are violent, or people who are selfish. And obviously, it's not that parents can guarantee how their children are going to turn out. But it's a great responsibility of the married couple to raise good children. And that means a lot of responsibility and a lot of sacrifice, a lot of giving, a sacrifice of your time, of your heart, of your independence, of your money. 
but that's what brings up good population. It's not just done in the schools. It can't just be done by the government. It's done primarily by the family. So in this way, the married, we call it ashram. Ashram means a shelter, a sanctuary. So the married ashram both facilitates the individuals who enter into it so that they can be peaceful, and it also facilitates the peace and harmony of the society in general. Now the, I, I wish I had brought with me, I have actually the whole wedding script that we went through today translated, so I can't really tell you just offhand all the significance of all the rituals. I, I wish I had come prepared to do that. So next time you invite me to a wedding in Wellington, I'll bring my English translation. But anyway, it was certainly very wonderful having our, our very wonderful Panditji. He has such a traditional ceremony. So did you have some other people that you wanted to speak as well? Yes, but it's okay. I think you did this Okay. So I want to leave some time for that. I thought we'd have just two or three minutes. If any of you had any questions that you wanted to ask. I know it will be difficult for you to uh, remember all those Mataji, but would you like me to tell you of the seven vows, you can remember some of them? You know, I haven't looked at the wedding script for a while. <laughs> okay. So I don't remember offhand. I have it on my memory stick in my bag. <laughs> my USB stick in my bag. <laughs> but I don't have a USB port yet in my, that's coming soon, you know, you just plug it in behind your ear and you <laughs> find it that way, but it hasn't, I haven't gotten it installed yet. <laughs> uh, when have you got any translation of the seven bars? It's all right. But any, if you have anything that you'd like to ask about, about the marriage in general or about bhakti yoga, we can discuss. Otherwise, we have some other people who are going to speak. I thank all of you for coming. Yes, you had a question? No? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.